Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. Welcome back to the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 134, Future PA Hunters Need You. In this week's episode, I'm talking with Seth Mazoris. Seth is a game warden and the information and education supervisor in the Southwest region for the Pennsylvania Game Commission. A big portion of his job revolves around the hunter-trapper education courses offered by the PGC, and you're going to hear him fill us in on how the HDE courses work, why and how hunters need to pass the certification course, and how HDE is funded. He's also going to talk a little bit about how to become an instructor, why we need more of these volunteers, and some new initiatives from the PGC. With us today, Seth, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, it's um, it, it's small world how some of these things work because uh, I want to say it was about four years ago, I went to a Wild About Bears seminar, uh, which I learned a lot of great information about bears and definitely without a doubt the highlight of it uh, was that there was a bear that was trapped. I believe it was in Somerset County, brought out to the Southwest Region office. We got to see what the game wardens do as far as tagging, um, you know, aging, uh, getting weight, things like that. And then we all got to sort of like sit next to the bear and get our picture taken with this live bear that's tranquilized. And um, as it turns out, that was you. <laughs> that, that was brought me. The bear. And, and, and interestingly enough, as we're sitting here talking, I just finished that same workshop last week for another group of teachers. And I, I hosted it this time with the help of some Harrisburg staff and, and we had seven bears that we processed this time. Seven, seven. Yeah. Holy crap. Um, so. yeah, I, you know, I, I like to humble brag a little bit because, you know, I have never shot a bear. Um, I, I haven't gone bear hunting a lot, so I can't complain that I've never shot a bear. Um, but I have friends that have shot bears, you know, and they're also sort of like, Oh, you know, I get to see their pictures of them shooting bears, um, and them with the bear and stuff like that. And then, you know, my humble brag is, yeah, you got a picture with with dead bear, but I will I got a picture with a live bear. I, I, and I tell people that all the time. That was one of my favorite parts of being a game warden is I get pictures with a ton of different bears and I can let them go catch and release. And I don't have to pay for them to get mounted at all. You know? Yeah, that, that's the <laughs> nice thing. I, not spending hundreds or thousands of dollars to get it mounted. Yeah, that that definitely is uh, a little bit on the on the plus side, I guess, you know, Absolutely. still get to interact with them, still get to do the whole trapping part, but, um, you know, don't have to have all that expense at the end. Catch and release, just like fishing. Right? It's, it's the only way to go when it comes That's to right. bears. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so what, what we're going to talk about today is something I feel is super important. And I have a feeling you do as well. Um, we're going to be talking about hunter education. Uh, it's something that I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast because I'm an instructor. Um, but before we get into that, can you just sort of give everyone a little bit of the scope of your position? Like, what all do you handle? Yes, I, 
and I am the information and education supervisor in the Southwest region, which is 10 counties um, here in Pennsylvania. And I'm still a state game warden as well. Um, my position at my supervisory position and titles uh, um, cover all of Hunter education, um, any education and outreach events uh, that occur here in the Southwest region. You know, we have a lot of exhibits, um, a lot of fairs, a lot of different um, sports shows that go on and I coordinate and I work with the 20 plus wardens that we have in our region um, to put on these events, make sure they're staffed and make sure they have sufficient supplies to cover them and work them as well, you know, with them. And then I also, you know, supervise um, and sort of mentor a group of, you know, younger wardens that I'm in charge of right now. It would be eight of them that I'm specifically oversee, um, but I oversee the education and outreach for, for all 20 plus wardens in the region and in, in the 10 counties. And like I said, Hunter education is a huge part of that. Um, and education in general through schools, envirothons, teacher workshops, like you mentioned, um, just promoting that aspect of it and the game commission and sort of the marketing end as well as sort of a newer end, you know, social media, um, trying to supply social media, the game commission social media page with more, more stuff um, and, uh, and putting a, getting a game commission's message out there. Yeah, I know um, growing up in a hunting family, a very old school, uh, go north to hunting to deer camp for, for hunting season type family. Um, you know, all, especially from all the neighbors up there, uh, a, a big complaint of game wardens, not that we uh, really interacted with them too much on our private property, but one of the big complaints is always that, you know, um, you don't know who they are. The only time you interact with them is if something, if you did something wrong and, and they caught you type thing. Um, is, is that sort of the new position with the game commission like we're trying to be a little more proactive in our approach with with yes, uh, um hunters in general most hunters only have we'll say maybe one encounter um with a game warden throughout their hunting career if you're lucky i mean some others you know have more than that but it's generally a, most encounters are a, a friendly license check and and you're on your way um a lot of the times, you know, people don't know their local wardens or local wardens have changed and moved around and shifted through um, attrition or retirements and new ones come in. And for the longest time, we didn't have a, we'll say a marketing division. We didn't, you know, promote ourselves a lot through social media and other avenues. And, and the game commission has sort of taken a turn on that and we've gotten involved in more of that and including you know, Facebook is a really large one for us. Um, you know, some of the Twitter stuff we put out as well, we're, we're gaining a lot of followers as well. So we are bringing up a new marketing division and, and getting our, our message out there, um, promoting what, what we do and trying to get people to understand more. And, and the other part is the education and outreach with our wardens and, and, you know, pushing them to be more involved in, in getting their um, message across in their local areas as well, because we can cover a statewide basis, but we have roughly 130 to 200 wardens at any given time across the state, including supervisors. So and we can't touch every little local community, but they can, they, they, they are the best um, people in their area for contacts. Yeah. The, I, I like the, the, 
revamped or new approach. I, I like the idea of showcasing the good that the game commission does. Um, and, and that whole proactive aspect, uh, you mentioned a lot of people only get checked maybe once in their lifetime. I get checked yearly, uh, <laughs> where, where my dad and I pheasant hunt. Um, it's just, it, it's the only spot in the County. Right. So, yes. and, I mean, it's huge and it's a spot that everyone goes to. Um, so we get, if not the first day of the season, the of pheasant season, you know, that second Saturday, uh, we'll end up getting checked one of those two days. Um, and you know, Sue is, is the game warden up there and she's, she's awesome. She's great. Um, she's friendly. Uh, you know, we're doing everything right. So it's not a big deal, uh, to talk to her real quick, but it is, uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I went, I went over 20 years without even, uh, meeting a game warden. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it's been every year since then. And, and you touched on an important part right there. You said you're doing everything right. And it's always friendly and you're, and you're hearing, and, and that's generally what happens. And you don't hear about those encounters that our wardens have with people in the field very much. Um, you don't hear about the good things. Generally what people hear about is when someone has been cited or the bad things that occur, but you know, the everyday, um, you know, checks or license checks and, and just establish communication with people. Those happen. That's 90, probably 5% of our contacts our wardens have with people and, and they're all positive. Um, and you just don't hear about those. You just yeah. hear about the negative ones. Yeah. That's the way the world works. We, we don't care about the positive stuff. We care about hearing about the negative stuff. All right. I said, we were going to talk about hunter education. Let's, uh, let's get to that. Let's talk to talk about that. Um, why, why is hunter education? let me back up let's first define what what is the hunter trapper education courses what 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 is that what is now um as of recently the purpose of hunter education since we'll say uh, 1982 um, hunter education became mandatory for all first-time licensed buyers regardless of your age um i believe it was 1969 um it was uh, in I'm close on that. Um, 1969 was when it became mandatory for anyone 16 and younger um, to take it. And during those time frames, um, you know, there was a lot of hunting-related shooting incidents that occurred in, in the state. And and from 1982, 1982, there was probably we'll say hundreds um, that occurred each year in the state. And, and there was a significant amount of hunters that were out there. Um, this education that all new licensed buyers had to take, hunter education, gave them a safety course. Um, there's a lot of information on safe handling of firearms, you know, properly identifying your target, um, all of those things. First aid is in there and some of that as well. And since 1982 till now, you went from hundreds down to 20s. Um, so the whole education aspect in training people how to be safe through a, generally it used to be a two-day course and now it's down to a one-day course, has shown an incredible amount of success in making the sport of hunting even safer. So it, it is required before you buy a license in Pennsylvania, unless you've held um, a license in another state or nation. Yeah, I, I, like, I like how you bring up the uh, shooting related incidents. Uh, I don't like the fact that we still have those, right. Um, th yes. that's not a good thing, but, um, you know, I have like, going to the instructor meetings, like I've seen the graph of the, the big decline of those, uh, shooting related incidents 
since you know th that we can basically attribute to these classes um just people understanding that you need to identify your target you need to handle your firearm properly. you need to have that that backdrop right that backstop for you know behind whatever animal it is that you're shooting towards um can would you be able to say that any shooting related incident um in regards to hunting uh would not be preventable at this point like is there ever a case whenever you walk up to one as a game board and you're investigating like this could have this there's there's no way this could have been prevented it just it, it happened there's nothing we could do yeah, there's, there's ones in as a game warden, I guess you're probably a little bit um, uh, biased, I guess you would say, but you, you look at them and you're like, this could, and really I think all of them could be prevented. It's just um, whether it be a unsafe handling of, of a firearm, pointing your muzzle in an unsafe direction. And let's face it, if, if your muzzle was pointed in a safe direction all the time, um, you should not have uh any type of injury resulting from a firearm that that you know could could harm someone else um if if muzzle discipline is used you know there's there's no hunting related or there's no shooting incident period um so yeah i i guess i'm biased on it and we'll say there's some crazy circumstances with some ricochets and stuff that that happen occasionally on year to year that you know ricochet off a tree that's something that you know we'll say probably wasn't somebody's fault or, you know, just was an unfortunate circumstance. Um, and that would be a tough one to prevent, but for the most, most case, I would say, yeah, I, I'd like to see, you know, most of those would be um, preventable or at least um, more than what is, that is done now. And like I said, we're down to in the 20. So that's, that's a heck of a good number compared to where you were in the eighties with, with hundreds and, and the safety. And if you consider the amount of, hunters that we have in the state and how many people go hunting on a you know from really september up until january the amount of hunting that occurs now until the end of january that's a that's hunting is a pretty safe sport that's me yeah which is it's ironic because you, you think to, to someone who doesn't hunt um they would think you know that hunting would be this like super dangerous activity uh because there's guns involved you're you know out in the the woods or the field or things of that nature um but it's really if you're prepared and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing uh with that firearm it's actually far less dangerous than say buying your kid a trampoline right uh or something like that you know we would look at a trampoline and be like yeah that's not that dangerous it has, a, it has nets on it now you know all this stuff um but trampolines are far, far more dangerous. Uh, playing soccer, playing football, much more dangerous activity, as it turns out, than hunting is now. Because on something, and what you said was preparation. Uh, yeah. You know, in the preparation aspect, that is what the hunter education curriculum is designed around: is preparing you to go out there and be a safe hunter, whether it be like I said, in the muzzle discipline and where you're pointing your firearm or identifying your target and what's beyond your target, our volunteer instructors that have been doing this since this course was designed um, do a great job at preparing people. You know, they, they give them the base knowledge to start out with. Um, whether you're going to be a safe hunter or not after you graduate depends on, you know, um, what 
what your thought process is and, and how you and who you hunt with sometimes. But uh, we will say, you know, the, the program is designed to prepare them to be the safest that they can be. So, I mean, how many kids are getting certified? Uh, or I say kids, but it's not just kids. It's a lot of older adults now, too. It, it is uh, definitely. So how many people are being certified, you know, like in a year? You know, and it varies from year to year. Obviously, the last couple of years with, with COVID, um, we've seen a, a decline in, you know, the numbers have dropped. Um, and some of that is, you know, in-person classes, you know, and a change in all the programs. We'll say in 2013 in Pennsylvania, I believe we had a high of around 40 to 41,000 in 2013 um, students that were certified in that year. And, you know, and uh, probably not the greatest numbers, but last year with COVID and everything else, we were down to around 24,000. The year before that, we were around 28,000 to 30,000 in that, in that range. And, and that's kind of where we expect to be. We've seen a drop off in the numbers and, and nationwide, there's been a drop off in hunting participation. Um, and it, some of that is just due to, you know, decline in, in children numbers and, and younger, younger people numbers. But we do see an overwhelming increase in female participation in our classes compared to say we even when I started 15 years ago um, it's probably I would guess probably around 35 percent um, in our classes now um, so the numbers of, of have dropped but again we're we're getting through this pandemic like everybody else and trying to figure out you know this year will be a good barometer of, of where we're going to be with all the changes that we've experienced in our program yeah and you know I feel like a lot of those changes are for the better uh and one of them is sort of just i don't, I don't want to necessarily say higher importance but just more marketing towards the idea of you can take the online class now yeah absolutely i mean we've had an online version of the class um probably since 2009 or 10 um with an independent study and it's changed but it was only ever designed for adults or people 17 years and older um up until we hit the pandemic when that started, you know, all of our classes for children who are 11, they had to be 11 and older, had to take an in-person one-day class. Um, and they needed that class to get their uh, certification to get their hunting license. So we realized we had a barrier there um, for people to get certified and, and buy a hunting license. So we opened up that online class that was available for 17 year olds and above we opened it up to all students when the pandemic hit you had to be 11 and older today you take your you take your test and you know the initial version was designed for 17 year olds so it was a little more difficult uh, you know for an 11 or 12 year old to take there's a lot more information there um, and we've re since restructured that and went with the nra um, and teamed up with them and built a version that was made for um, a little more user-friendly, and we'll say for a younger younger person. And um, you know, the online version has been an overwhelming um, hit amongst people uh, for sure. Um, it's completely free, uh, no cost to them at all, just like taking a regular in-person class. And you know, they both have their their pros and cons. The in-person and in the in the online has their pros and cons, but you know it's options we're looking to provide to expand opportunities for people who want to get in involved in the sport. We want, 
them to be able to take this, get the information they need to become, um, you know, a safe hunter and, and then go out and buy their hunting license. Now, you mentioned that, that both the in-person and online class are free, uh, but there are materials. There's obviously, you know, developing the curriculum, all that kind of stuff is going to cost money. So how are these classes funded? I mean, is it coming from the Game Commission or some other source? The primary means of funding for hunter education is through um, a federal excise tax. It was built on arms and, am arm and ammunition, the Pittman-Robinson Fund. Um, basically, uh, all this excise tax is built into the sale of arms ammunition and goes to the federal government at the end of the year. Um, they split it up based off of certain factors and, and put it back towards the state agencies and, and the agencies um, use it for certain projects. Now it is earmarked in hunter education and education is one of the things that it is used for. Um, you know, it can be used for some habitat projects as well, but primarily hunter education in Pennsylvania, a lot of it is funded through the Pittman-Robertson excise monies that's coming into the state. And it's very important uh, um, to develop, like you said, you know, you're purchasing digests, you're purchasing manuals, pencils, patches, cards, um, computer equipment, you know, everything to put on these classes and develop the curriculum. And, and you know, the instructors don't cost any money because we have volunteers and instructors in the state, but that, um, that money that comes back is um, very important to the game commission since we are an independent agency and we don't get any general sales tax money. So when it comes in and it is used for this education, it's huge um, in Pennsylvania. You mentioned the uh, computer equipment, the laptop. <laughs> I've never seen grown men more excited than when a new laptop was <laughs> delivered by the, the game warden. Uh, and it was not the old 12 year old laptop that they had been using for years and was real finicky. And uh, you had to be real careful about not letting it go to sleep. And <laughs> yeah, I, you know, they, with this curriculum that we developed, we try to develop a, um, and if you've been around, you've seen, you know, the older version of the Hunter Ed PowerPoints versus the newer version with the newer videos kind of up to date with an in touch more with maybe how younger people uh, would like to experience and learn. And we, and we have to evolve and keep up with the times and, and doing that in a six hour class, you know, requires a pretty, uh, we'll say fancy laptop that can support this type of um, presentation that we're putting on with all these great videos and, and the education aspect is there. So yeah, the, the new laptop makes a big difference without a doubt. And that's, like I said, that's purchased with PR money. You know, the, the PR monies, it, it is one of the best ideas uh, that I think that, that we've had here in our country. Um, there's a whole lot of great ideas that we've had, but it's definitely up there as one of the best. You know, uh, hunters uh, chose and advocated for uh, attacks on themselves. Uh, and, you know, this happened back in the 1930s. And this is something that there's no way that it could happen now. Uh, and the amount of good that has been done from those taxes that, that we willingly pay as outdoors people, I think is tremendously important to, to the tune of over a billion dollars last year uh, that was uh, sent out to the states. And, and you mentioned the, the formula. 
you know, that's based on the number of license, hunting license sales, the area of the state, um, all that kind of stuff. And it's super important for Pennsylvania because we have one of the highest populations of hunters. Uh, we, we're a pretty big state, uh, so we can get a lot of that money. You know, we can get a good chunk of it to, to help. Um, so it's definitely something that's super, super important for us. It's, it's very important. I, I mean, like I said, the education aspect, the amount of money that the game commission receives, you know, it'll vary year to year based off of the, the sales of the arms and ammunition. But recently the sales have been extremely high. So there's a lot of money being, being put back out. And like you said, this has been around since the 1930s. Um, hunters and shooters have supported conservation across this country. Like no other people have supported their own sport. That's for sure. Um, through this and, and they funded wildlife conservation. So it's, you know, the education aspect and what we get out of with, with the PR monies for hunter education, but also um, the habitat work that goes, the land purchase that the State Game Commission owned, some of that land was purchased probably with people. And then the habitat work to make better habitat to support um, species that are here, that, that all comes from that, that PR fund. And, and it's been, um, truly a success story from when it started to where it's at now. I mean, it's, it's been very important in the history of the nation, for sure. You, you've brought up multiple times, volunteer instructors. I'm a volunteer instructor. Um, who, who are these people? Who are these, these people that, that donate their time, you know, two, three, four, five uh, days a year, typically on a Saturday or Sunday, uh, to educate the, the youth and the new hunters in our state? You know, you know, typically these um, are the unsung heroes of hunter education because, like I said, until recently, online hunter education wasn't even available to new hunters. It, it had to be um, in-person hunter education. So these are volunteers, 100% volunteer instructors um, that come out and want to give back to the sport. They, they don't want asking anything in return. They've been hunters probably their entire life and and they can even appreciate when maybe they went through hunter education or someone that taught them and they just want to give back to hunting so they view hunter education as a way to do that and and they do do that and they they teach people how to be safe and typical hunter education instructor um in this state is probably Later on in life, we'll say you, you're you're probably the abnormal one. Um, mostly are going to be in their 60s that, that we have now. And um, a lot of them are members of sportsman's clubs um, and that host a class at maybe their local sportsman's club and, and put something on there. But these guys get um, fill out an application through the game commission. We do a brief interview and, and a background check, you know, to see what we have. And oftentimes they're already part of a team and and like I said, they're the, the true unsung heroes that just don't want anything back other than pass on the tradition of hunting and, and get people certified. And, and they're a great group of guys, no doubt. Yeah, I know once you get in with a group of guys, you know, I, I like you said, a lot of a lot of these guys are already members of sportsman's clubs or, um, you know, and they're they're hosting, it's already being hosted there. Um, so it's easy for them to get in. I, I, I was absolutely an abnormal one, right? Like I was a younger guy. I was still in my twenties whenever I decided um, I wanted to be uh, an instructor and went through the process. And I wasn't a member of any local sportsman's clubs. Uh, so uh, my game warden, when he came to uh, interview me, 
uh, he said, you know, do you have anywhere specific you want to go? And I said, no, I just, uh, I said, I know one used to be in the, the little town here that I live in. And he said, well, it's not going on anymore. Um, but there is one, you know, a couple towns over and they're great guys. That's where you should go. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Um, since I've joined, uh, we actually, you know, we have the, the typical older guys that, that are there that have been doing it for, um, I think the one guy, Dale, I think he's been doing it for over 45 years now. Um, but since I joined, uh, one of the older gentlemen's, his son, uh, who was in his late twenties, uh, became an instructor with us. And then we had another guy in his early thirties join us. So we actually have a little bit of a, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, young contingent of instructors, yeah. which, um, is as i've come to find out is is pretty unique um how many instructors do we have statewide roughly we're going to be around 17 to 1800 instructors statewide which again is is down um probably from 10 15 years ago we had uh probably around 26 2700 instructors statewide so it's no different i guess than any other volunteerism in in the country you know volunteerism is kind of going down and and you see that in sportsmen's clubs in general if you go to a sportsman's club and a lot of people join sportsman's clubs but when it comes to their meetings and their and their membership meetings and stuff you're generally going to see normally um very i want to say very more little participation and depending on where you go to and most of the time it's the it's the older folks who've been established in that club for a long time but you know this 17 or you know i'd rather have 1700 good instructors who are dedicated than have 3500 who are just you know never teaching classes so um we're we're good with the numbers but we'd like to see them come up for sure it's so we have 1700 instructors that certify you know 20 to thirty thousand new hunters every year i mean that that makes for big class sizes uh and as a teacher myself i know it's hard to really connect with a big class. It's hard to make sure that every kid is um, understanding all the concepts when you have that big class. So I'm assuming that you would like to have more dedicated instructors, right? I, I always would like to have more dedicated instructors. I mean, and the people that want to get involved, like you said, some classes, what we're seeing now uh, with class size obviously since we opened up the online option class size has shrunk um you know because about half of that we'll say 2400 or 2800 is, is doing the online version and the other half is doing the in-person where previously they had all done the you know most of all have done the in-person classes so the class size has shrunk um a little bit but you know even with 20 some students when you're starting to teach and do testing and, and, you know, with hunter education, it's nice to have a good four or five people that can sit there and um, help out and each person teach a different section. And when it comes to testing, you know, make sure everybody is on the same page and it, the, having a good group of people, not just one or two makes a big difference in how successful the class is and what the kids learn. Yeah. And that's something that I've really come to, yeah come to understand volunteering my time at a couple other uh, classes and a couple other locations that that group that I'm with, you know, we have uh, anywhere be between four and six, um, depending on the day. Um, but what really threw me for a loop that especially that first year uh, was that we would have 40 or 50 
people in that room. And it's like, man, you know, I'm looking at it as, as an educator, like, how are we going to get to all these kids? You know, like, how are we going to keep them all engaged? Um, but to watch each person go up and do different segments, um, you know, it, it, it's funny, you know, everyone sort of falls into what they do. So now that I've been there for a number of years, I do uh, tree stand safety, I do the archery aspect, and I do the turkey hunting. Um, everyone sort of picks the aspects that they want to do. And uh, some of the older gentlemen have gone from doing two or three segments down to just doing one because they're like, hey, I've been doing this for years. You go up, you, you have the energy, uh, you take on another segment. So uh, it is nice to have those, those extra bodies there, the extra people there for that. Um, do you and care how old they are? I don't. And generally, you know, there's an age restriction for, you know, um, we have junior uh, hunter education instructors as well. You can be a junior, I believe, if you're under, um, quote me, I think it's if you're under 18 years old, um, you can be a junior instructor. But like you said, the, as far as the teaching aspect, when you have a group like that, and ed any education for that matter, it's so much um, easier to teach and keep someone's attention when you're speaking about something that you are passionate about or that you generally have a huge interest in, whether it be archery hunting or muzzleloader or trapping, um, you make it fun because of your knowledge that you have in it. It's, it's a lot easier to teach. So it's great that instructors gravitate towards one thing or another because they'll make their own section very, um, very good and they'll capture the student's attention because they're passionate about it. And each one of the instructors really are in, in their own area if you sit and watch them teach. So, but as far as the age, yeah, I, you know, we have, we have instructors that are junior instructors and they go the whole way up to um, probably in their eighties, close to 90, I, I think. And I have a few that are close to in their early nineties. And I know I have people that have been around for 55 probably over 55 years teaching hunter education so that's that's definitely a calling i love that um i would like to say i'm going to get to that point uh but <laughs> you know life's crazy sometimes so we'll that, see right? we'll see how that goes you already mentioned a, a couple of the steps but if someone that's listening wants to become an edu uh, an instructor uh, what do they need to do? What's that first big step that they need to do and what should they expect from the process? First thing I encourage, and oftentimes um, if someone wants to become an instructor, they develop this uh, want based off of attending a hunter education class themselves with maybe their child or something they go to and they're like, I, I would like to be a part of this or they'd like to get one started up at a local sportsman's club. So I personally believe it's great to talk to another hunter education instructor to start with and say, you know, see what it's all about, see their interest and see how it's done. And then if they still have interest after that, all they have to do is go onto the game commission's website and underneath our outreach and education page in um, hunter education, they can find request an application or they can call one of our regional offices and, and request an application and an application can be sent to them um, right through the mail and they fill out the application and they submit the application back and they'll have a brief um, background where you know uh, a warden will contact their um, references and, and check everything make sure we're good and then they'll move on in the process assuming everything is okay and they'll take an orientation um, orientation is online now, completely online over the computer, which is a lot uh, easier process. Before they had to wait 
um, for a class down here at Ligonier or somewhere in their region. Uh, sometimes it'd be two to four months before enough people were there to have a class. So now it's instant. Once they're approved, they can take the online instructor orientation and then they can go and the requirements are that you help teach a class and that you attend a class as a student within your first uh, year. And then you have to help teach a class every um, two years, basically, to be certified, remain certified. And you have to attend a um, instructor update seminar every two years to remain certified. Yeah, I, I, what he just crunched everything down into, you know, a <laughs> one and a half minute spiel there. It sounds yep. intense. It's really not. Um, it's, it's not super easy, especially now I had to go to the in-person orientation. So if you don't have to go to the in-person orientation, um, that just makes the process a little bit quicker. You know, oh, as you mentioned, yeah. I, I think I had to wait four or five months before I could go to the orientation. So um, that that would be a lot quicker, a lot easier to be able to just bang it it's all out online generally what we end up waiting on now before it used to be the instructor orientation class that we'd have to help but generally now what we, what we hold up is normally is the background clearances um, and getting the background clearances back from wherever we have to send them out to and once they come back um, that's you know without that step i'd say it's probably a two-week process but with that step, it, it takes a little bit longer. You know, you're looking at a month, maybe two months, but, you know, to make sure by the time the paperwork and the mail and everything is received, it's it's not a difficult process by any means. It, no, yeah, and, and those background checks, I mean, that, that's obviously super important, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, there's a lot of kids, as you mentioned, down to 11 years old. Um, we want to make sure those kids are with safe adults, right? They're, we're not exposing that's, them. First and foremost, um, yeah. by any means, you know, you're teaching them to be, to be a safe hunter in this class, but you also, you know, you're going to start out with safe, safe teachers. Um, so that, that, that part is important in, in checking into people in the background clearances. Now we've been talking about the basic class, um, but there are, if I remember correctly, still two other classes that are offered um, that you can become instructors or you can take yourself uh what are those those classes? You have uh, the bow hunter education class that is still out there. You know, we used to have success, successful turkey hunting class, which is kind of um, not around anymore. But you also have the cable restraint and successful fur taking class um, in order to take that. Again, that is an online offered class now as well. Um, but those are the two other options uh, as far as, you know, hunter education or the other, we'll say, expanded curriculum courses go but in regular hunter education you have a six-hour course which is offered um, which is generally what most people teach i do have a few people that teach what are called skill stations classes um, it's a little bit longer of a course you know it's an eight-hour course instead of six it is a lot more hands-on activities a lot more takes a lot more instructors to put on a lot more equipment to put on um, it's a very good class like I said there's a lot more hands-on stuff but it, it is pretty intensive as far as equipment and, and everything that needs to get there so there's really four different options um, right now for hunter education and you know in in-person hunter education classes in the different areas and I'm assuming we're gonna you know we're always looking at places to get better um, for sure and how we can expand and make the program better and that's always under evaluation and and, you know, in order to recruit and retain hunters, that's, you know, what, what we have to do. And so with education, I mean, you know, 
trying to learn to hunt and all that stuff, it doesn't just stop with those classes, right? It's a lifelong learning process. Uh, I know the game commission has um, some new things that they've done just in the last couple of years. I mean, if someone goes through the basic class, uh, maybe they also take the fur taking class or, and or the, the bow hunting class, um, or maybe they don't, but they're interested in, you know, still learning more because they're a brand new hunter. And we, I, I typically tend to see this from older adults, right. That are in their twenties or thirties learning to hunt for the first time. Maybe they don't have a mentor. Uh, they want to learn some information. Like what are some ways that the game commission is going about doing that? You know, interestingly enough, like you say, you know, we're, we're looking at all options and recruiting and retaining, you know, new hunters and oftentimes not just young hunters, you know, like you said, reactivating people that may have hunted a couple of times and, and didn't buy a hunting license for a while, but now they want to get back into it. So one of the things, first of all, you, you never stop learning. I mean, I do this every day and deal with wildlife almost daily. And every time I go out in the woods or every time I go hunting, I'm always observing animals or seeing a different you know pattern. So it's, it's kind of unique. It's, it's never the same thing over and over again. That's for sure. You're always learning something when you're out in the woods and you're learning about nature. The ways that people can become involved and, and start really, I, I say with the sportsman's clubs, um, Pennsylvania has an incredible amount of clubs that are all across the state and easily accessed by um, really anyone with a short drive, you know, to a local club, they can go to these local clubs and, and find mentors there to start with. And hopefully, you know, you're going to see, you know, probably down the line, some, um, some avenues for that to happen. Um, eventually, you know, we're sportsman's clubs and we're going to, you know, hopefully turn people on to sportsman's clubs and working with them is what we're hoping for. Um, the clubs themselves offer shooting ranges. They offer different outreach programs in the community. A lot of them do youth field days on their own where they're bringing in people, you know, and young kids and, and they're just very active and involved in and you can learn a lot there and you can find other people that, like we said, maybe you're not an archery hunter, but you want to get into it. That's a great place to start. Um, you know, go to there and, and see what you can find. And the game commission ourselves, we've kind of got involved in a learn to hunt series webinar series where last fall we did learn to pheasant hunt. Um, last fall we did learn to squirrel hunt. And like I said, it was completely online with a panel with about an hour long presentation. And then we opened it up for some questions and we did multiple of these. And what we're finding is we had over like 400 some participants on for a two hour program, people will log in and want to learn about it. And a lot of it is people who maybe don't have access. We're seeing more urban um, participation in that. And they want to learn to hunt and maybe get out, but they don't have the woods in their backyard, but they can jump on a computer and listen to us teach and talk to them about learn to squirrel hunt, learn to pheasant hunt, learn to turkey hunt this spring and, and more coming this fall. It turns out that's starting to be a very successful program and we're going to look to expand and continue that for sure. That's great. Uh, any other new initiatives that might be coming down the pipeline? Um, like I said, it, they're always evaluating stuff. I know um, with some of our social media outlets and our marketing um, marketing team that is being developed, they're going to push a lot more education, um, a lot more stuff out on our social media uh, avenues. And like I said, more so we're looking at um, how to 
you know, the big R3, recruit, reactivate, and retain hunters. Uh, and, you know, with uh, licensed buyers and where can we do better? So um, as far as initiatives, you're going to see a lot more change up in the way the game commission operates in general, I believe. You know, internally, we're going through this restructuring process a little bit. And, and when we come out of it, I believe, you know, we're going to be um, more streamlined and, and up to date in how we do things. And, it, we'll just take Facebook, for example, uh, you know, in social media, you know, right now we have the Game Commission's Facebook, main Facebook page, but we're going to de be developing some regions have their own regional Facebook page and every um, region, including myself, will have a Facebook page so I can get information out, maybe that we might not want to put out on a statewide level, but I can get that information out to my region level of this is what's going on in this area this weekend and the game commission's involved in. Now, people in Philadelphia don't necessarily care. We'll say maybe what's going on in, say, Westmoreland County this weekend, but, you know, our local people may. So just new ideas, new avenues we're going to push out and try and capture people's attention a little bit. And um, and like I said, in the more attention you get, you know, like it's, you might pick up somebody. And, and the other thing we're looking at is the shooting sports end of it. Um, not only do hunters contribute to, to PR monies, but, you know, people that buy guns and are involved in shooting sports, like uh, the, the clay pigeon uh, trap teams that are in schools now. That's one of the fastest growing things there is, fastest growing sports there is. So we're hiring a shooting sports coordinator out of Harrisburg as well. And, and similar to NASP, Natural Archery and School Program, we're probably going to be getting more involved with that. And you're going to see more ranges show up. Um, I believe on some of our game lands, you're going to see, you know, we have archery ranges going up on places because archery is hugely popular. We have shotgun patterning ranges that are going up. You know, this is all again, supported by some of that PR dollars that Pittman Robertson funds that are out there. And, you know, it's just going to be a big push. And like I said, a lot of changes coming in the next couple of years and, Hopefully it's, it's an exciting time um, to be involved in the game commission. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's a, a, a great way to come full circle with the PR dollars is, you know, just recently the, you know, legislation was passed to modernize the, the PR act so that you're able to use some of those dollars for uh, shooting ranges and some R3 marketing uh, and R3 initiatives and things like that, which are all going to support more sales, right? That's going to generate yes. more revenue, right? So um, it can be a little bit self-fulfilling there. That That's obviously going to be a great, great addition to uh, the the PR system. So yeah, like I, you said, in, in recruiting Hunter end of it, like you said, you, you have people that might be involved in these shooting sports as well that um, maybe don't have an avenue to go hunting, but, you know, they already have the the firearm handling and, and some of that name, you know, you might recruit some hunters based off of people that are interested in just the shooting sports too. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, like I said, it's an exciting time. A lot of changes coming up. That's for sure. Yeah. I know the way, the more people I talk to that, that don't hunt, there's a lot of people interested in it, but they just don't, they didn't grow up in a situation like me in a hunting family. It was easy for yes. me to get into it because I had family members that were willing to take me out, willing to show me how to hunt. Um, there's a lot of people in this country and in our state that, like you said, urban environments, suburban environments, they don't grow up in hunting family, they don't have access. Um, you know, so if we can reach out to them, they're interested, they're yes. willing, they want to go hunt, but 
hunting just seems like such a daunting task if you've never done it before that you need help to get started. Yes. And, and you yourself, like you said, you had mentors to help you along the way. And I'm sure, um, you know, if somebody reached out to you and a young child and said, Hey, I, I just, you're a hundred ed instructor. I would really like, you know, I don't have anyone to take me. Can you show me how to squirrel hunt? And, and there's people in this state that would gladly do that and gladly help just to pass on because it's, it's tradition. Um, it's, you know, hunting is, is a big thing in Pennsylvania and, and that's the way it continues and, and why it is the way it is because there's people that are just willing to go that extra mile to, to show somebody else what they've been taught and, and pass it along. And, and that's, that's, what's great about PA. Well, best state out there. I don't want to hear about Texas. <laughs> All I right, Seth. Hey, I appreciate you coming on talking about this. Uh, hopefully this inspires some new instructors um, hopefully this inspires some non-hunters to, to take the course to see what it's about. Hopefully some of those new instructors are of the younger guild, just so that we can get more years of them being instructors. Um, but no matter what age you are, you're more than welcome to join the family of, of instructors for hunter education. Um, so th like I said, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. And that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank Seth for coming on. Uh, you know, it, it's funny uh, how the world works. Uh, met Seth when he was a game warden. Uh, and he was uh, trapped a nuisance bear. And I was taking the uh, Wild About Bears course a couple years ago. And they brought that bear uh, in to sort of show us the process on how they tag them and tattoo them and check their general health. It, it, it was pretty cool to then see him a couple years later, you know, he's moving up the ranks. And just recently I saw him at Elk Expo as a volunteer and for the PGC. And, you know, the big thing I hope everyone takes away from this as someone who is an HTE instructor, we need new people. We need more people. We need new blood. Specifically, we need younger people. Uh, these instructors, a lot of them are aging out and, uh, it would really behoove us as hunters to give back and uh, be able to give these younger generations of hunters that in-person experience. Not that there's anything wrong with online learning and, and taking the online certification course, but there's, there is a little bit lost in just that camaraderie and being around other hunters for these younger and even older new hunters that are taking the course. So if you have any desire to give back and you enjoy talking about hunting and you, you know, can work well with children uh, and, and new hunters and really pass on that information, uh, look into becoming a, a new HTE instructor. Down in the episode details, make sure you check out uh, if you are interested in becoming certified. Uh, there is a link for in-person Hunter Trapper courses, and then there's also the link for the online course as well. So make sure you check those out. Until next week, get outside, take someone with you, and stay wild.